Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now on scene with the LEO Sideshow, the one and only podcast that opens the discussions about what police do and why they do it. We are bringing a fresh new look on the relationship between the police and the public. Now for the part in our show where we must give you a legal disclaimer. Spoiler alert, people in the United States sue other people for just about anything. So therefore, the topics being discussed in the LEO Sideshow are merely the opinions of the hosts and their guests. These topics and discussions are in no way intended to be legal advice for your specific area or incident. Please consult with your local attorney or your local district attorney's office or your local police department for your specific laws and ordinances in your jurisdiction. All right, welcome everybody. This is episode five. I think we're going to have to stop doing that from now on because we're going to get we're going to lose count. But uh, we're this is episode five. Thanks for showing up. Uh, we have an interesting episode today. We're going to be talking about tasers, which kind of could be a little controversial. They've gone through some stuff over the years. So, uh, but it'll be an interesting episode. We'll talk about why police use tasers. Uh, we'll talk about some of the pros and cons of tasers and uh you're gonna get our take on tasers so here we go here we uh, go oh yeah 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 you didn't even know patrick was here i'm here all right pat why don't you start us out with the uh word the police word of the day what all right we have? today's police word of the day is articulate or articulate uh could be used as an adjective or verb uh, as an adjective, it means of a person or a person's words having or showing the ability to speak fluently and coherently and use that in a sentence, an articulate account of their experiences. So I would probably say that articulate would be the how we uh, sound for the adjective. And as far as a verb, it means to express fluently and coherently and in a sentence that can be used as they were unable to articulate their emotions. And how that applies to police officers, uh, Patrick, I'm sure, uh, Fra- Frank, I'm sure, I'm fr- referring to myself, Frank, uh, I, I know they talked out at references in the academy, talk about, they use the word articulate all the time. And what we mean by that is uh, you have to be able to not only express what happened on paper as far as police reports, but then you also have to be able to get up in front of people and talk about it. And that applies to policing because of the reports we use and as far as testifying in court. So you have to be able to articulate your actions or what you observed. So, yeah. And this actually is more important. Actually, it's, it's probably just as important when writing our use of force reports, but I know as a supervisor, when I'm reading some of my officers reports, I really want them to be articulate because I want to feel like I talk to the victim. I want to talk, feel like I talk to the witness. And if they aren't articulate and they said, yeah, you know, between this domestic, the husband punched the wife. So I arrested the husband and took him to jail. Well, that 
probably is exactly what happened, but they did not articulate any of how it happened, how he punched, how, what led up to that, you know, so being very articulate in our police reports is really important. And then we also, we really want our officers to be uh, articulate when we're talking about use of force reports or pol- uh, what else, um, pr- police pr- pursuit reports, because since those are very liability heavy and, uh, you know, have the possibility of like a civil lawsuit coming against the police department or the officer, we want the, the officers to be very, very articulate in exactly what they saw using their senses. And uh, that's all part of articulating. Yeah, when we talk about articulate, you want to make sure that when we're reviewing an officer's report, it's not just the basic facts or the officer saying, this person told me this. Well, you're also trying to describe how that person may be talking, what their emotional state is, anything like that, any type of deception that you know could be provided, and how that would, I guess, relate to what the overall crime was. You know, if you're interviewing a suspect and they're giving you basic answers, but they're not trying, they're trying to be deceptive or trying to look away or information like that, you could actually put that in your report. So when it comes time to testify, you know, you're going to be able to articulate, hey, you know, when this person was answering the questions, they were being deceptive, they weren't being truthful, they were giving me short answers, they weren't, they were coming off topic, and you would be able to testify based on your experience and uh, how you're going to articulate uh, that person's answers. Well, I'll, I'll give you a good example. When when you and I were working together one night, it was, I think the real feel was negative nine. And we had a prostitute hanging out at the corner. Now we knew she was a known prostitute and we um, didn't have anything on her other than that we knew that she was a, a prostitute. And we had to you know, figure out, are we at the mere encounter or at the investigatory detention phase? Anyway, we ended up making an arrest, not for prostitution, but, you know, part of our stop, we had to articulate that we had seen her multiple times standing on the same corner for this amount of time. Uh, It was a real feel of negative nine degrees out. It was an area of a high prostitution area. And this is all articulated in the report so that when we go to testify, we can say this is gave this was what gave us our grounds to stop and conduct an investigation Whereas if we just said, hey, we saw this girl standing at the corner and we stopped to talk to her, you know, that could have went a different way. Yeah, and you're not giving any of the the background information as far as the temperature. What is this person doing outside? There's nobody else outside. She's in an area known for high prostitution (laughs) walking around, flagging us down. If you don't don't articulate any of the factors that go into that, you could – nobody's going to believe that, Hey, okay. The police are just stopping this person for known reason. Well, not really. There's an actual reason why we're interacting with this person and believe that they're up to no good. So that comes back to articulate, basically be able to not only uh, subscribe it as far as writing, but also be able to testify to it and describe what you're observing and what you're listening to. So it's kind of like a twofold thing. Yeah. But and how that relates to today's case law of the week, case oh, law of the yeah. episode, episode five, right. uh, looks like we got Graham versus Connor, which is another landmark court case uh, 
from the street. Basically, every police officer yeah. that gets trained has to learn Graham versus Connor. Yes, it's, it's up there. I know we've described some other major uh, Supreme Court cases, but this one is probably towards the, one of the top. Uh, just a little background on it. It was the 1989 case, Supreme Court. It was argued February 21st, 1989. It was decided May 15th, 1989. Uh, the petitioner, Graham, uh, was a diabetic. He asked his friend, Barry, to drive him to a convenience store to purchase orange juice to counteract the onset of an insulin reaction. Upon entering the store and seeing the number of people ahead of him, Graham hurried out and asked Barry to drive him to a friend's house instead. The respondent, Connor, so the case is Graham versus Connor, Connor was a city police officer. He became suspicious after seeing Graham hastily enter and leave the store. He, Connor followed Barry's car and made an investigative stop, ordering the pair to wait while he found out what happened inside the store. Respondent backup police officers arrived on scene, handcuffed Graham, and ignored or rebuffed attempts to explain and treat Graham's condition. During the encounter, Graham sustained multiple injuries. He was released when Connor learned that nothing had happened inside the store. Graham filed a suit in the district court, 1983 suit against the respondents, alleging that they had used excessive force in making the stop in, vi- in violation of rights to secure him under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, dis- the district court granted res- granted respondents' motion for a directed verdict at the close of Graham's evidence, applying a four-factor test for determining when excessive use of force gives rise to a 1983 suit, which is, if your background is a lawsuit that's filed against police officers for use of force violations and what they did was they wanted to apply whether force was uh applied in good faith effort to maintain and restore discipline or maliciously and sadistically for the very purpose of causing harm the end end result was basically that all claims that law enforcement officials have used excessive force, deadly or not, in the course of an arrest, investigatory, investigatory stop, or other seizure of, re, of a free citizen, free citizen are properly analyzed under the Fourth Amendment's objective reasonableness standard rather than a substantive due process standard. So in layman's terms, when police interact with a subject or they may have to use force whether or not the force is excessive or appropriate is determined by an objectively reasonable standard. And going forward, how we apply that is we don't view use of force in a 2020 hindsight point of view. We view it on scene objectively reasonable. So in the Graham versus Connor case, this guy was having a diabetic attack. The officers believed at the time that he was actively resisting their attempts to stop him and handcuff him, which could have been viewed objectively given the circumstances. The officers did not know the background of that. Uh, Graham was having a diabetic attack and that was the reason he had gone inside the store, even though it had looked suspicious. Right. And in this case, Graham versus Connor doesn't go into whether the whether we believe that Connor was right in how he dealt with Graham and, you know, how he conducted his investigation. It basically is a, a landmark case because from this point forward, the Supreme Court of the United States, which, you know, laid down this law so that every other court has to abide by this, is that 
when you're g- gathering the facts of this case, and this is whether this is you know probably going to be a, a civil lawsuit that we're dealing with here, when the when the people hearing this, or the judge is hearing this, he basically has to view this as as what Connor viewed it at that time. And like, uh, like Patrick said, now that we know that Graham was having a diabetic episode cannot be put into the account unless it was told to the officer beforehand, we can't assume anything. So a lot of times and we see this a lot in the news today, when an officer fires at a guy who has a BB gun, you know, that force, the technically lethal force against the BB gun is unreasonable, right? I think everybody would agree with that. But that's because we're using 2020 hindsight. We already know the facts. We already know everything from the case. You know, we have to view what the facts were that the officer had at that time. So you use that objective reasonableness, which is probably a good uh word of the week because that can be debated but you have to figure out what the objective reasonableness is for that officer at that time what they knew and how they used that force and again was it reasonable so you know now knowing that or with the example that i just gave about the bb gun you know judges or any other civilian should take into consideration that the officer did not know that it was a BB gun. Yeah. And And that's how they acted. That's how, unfortunately, police officers get, you know, criticized for their actions or we get into these big political debates, but they, the media and the public applies the 2020 hindsight to the case. Whereas we as police officers in the law, Graham versus Connor, you can look it up applies the objectively reasonable standard what happened at the time what facts were known to the individuals involved specifically in this case the police officer did not know this whole diabetic episode he believed that this person was graham was actively resisting and applied use of force techniques we're not going to again argue whether or not the whole basis for you know, the force was excessive or, you know, did he could have used other resources. We're just saying that in this case, whether or not Connor was objectively reasonable was viewed in light of the actions that happened in front of him and the information he was privy to. Not yeah, all this well, other information that comes out of left field. Well, and and you had, you hit it right on the head there where, you know, as you citizens, uh, civilians out there, when when you see all the news come out, most times the news has a lot of the facts, maybe not all of them, but they're already using that 2020 hindsight and you're already convicting the officer. So a lot of these use of force cases that you see come up around the country, some people are very taken back by the officers not being charged or, or I'm sorry, not being convicted or the civil suit not going anywhere because they don't understand that Graham versus Connor has a part in how the outcome of those cases. Right. And it's a landmark court case that is still applied today and how police officers yeah. interact with citizens and what their years. Yeah, what their legal standards are for use of force considerations. So cool. All right. 
That's it. That was a big case. We could probably go into that even deeper. Yeah, we, we, we got a lot. We were actually discussing before this hand, beforehand in this episode was we could probably get into a whole use of force discussion and and we'll probably bring this one up too as well, some other court cases. But this is a big one and they teach you this one right off the, the bat at the police academy and it still applies today. Yeah, because I mean, some of the other big ones, you know, with we talked about uh Tennessee V. Garner. Yeah. You know, that's more like a, a lethal right case, which, you know, you know, we are encountered with lethal uh, situations, but we're, we mostly encounter less lethal situations more often. So we're a lot of times dealing with Graham v. Connor compared to other cases. And Frank, one thing I actually just thought of, when we apply Graham versus Connor in, in the media, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that while the media or the social media has access to parts of a video that may have use of force implications. Graham versus Connor applies because there may be other parts of that video that the public does not view or information that comes in from dispatch in relation to this interaction of a citizen or information that the officer was privy to. So, you know, while we view videos or, uh, little segments, segments of, uh, possible interaction that could be viewed and not the the greatest light of the police officer the public and social media and what do we mean social media the public as far as videos statements anything like that they're not privy to all the information that the officer or background information that 911 has given them so when we apply Graham versus Connor we have to apply everything not just that segment that some of the media and audience is privy to or is viewed. So the totality. Totality of the circumstances. That's another big legal term we use. <laughs> we can get into that too. Right. Okay. So now let's get into the, the meat. So we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about tasers. And now we want to put this out there that we don't work for Taser. We are no way affiliated with Taser. Well, actually, it's Axon now, uh, but uh, we do use their products, and we're, uh, we're we're providing with some of the outcomes that we've seen and some of our experience with uh, their products. But Taser, up until about 2017 or 18, was the company name. They have uh, kind of restructured. Axon is now the company name and they produce or manufacture tasers. So when we talk about tasers throughout this episode, we're most likely talking about the tasers that are produced by Axon, unless we specifically say otherwise. And and just for the audience to know that taser, again, is, is like a, uh, it, it is a brand name, but it's more commonly used to describe any type of stun gun device or electric device. Uh, uh, incapacitation device. So again, during this episode, we will probably be using taser interchangeably with a lot of this just because it's how everybody speaks. So we're going to stay on that same path, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we aren't affiliated with them, but we're going to go over some of this stuff because I think it's an important topic for the citizens to understand how and why we use tasers and you know the, some of the pros and cons with them and where we come from and how we view tasers uh working in the city so and just just so you know we our department carries tasers but not every department does so this does not apply 
across the board. It's not like every police department known to man carries tasers. A lot too, and we do, but not everyone does. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. So let's let's start out, and uh, I guess I can do a little bit of uh, information about the taser. So taser, the what, what police carry, what police commonly carry is – looks like a small pistol looking device. It it handles the same way. It has like a pistol grip. It's got a trigger. It's got a safety. And the taser has, is equipped with a cartridge that shoots probes. And these probes are connected to wires. And uh, when the probes come out and they strike the target, there is an electrical impulse that goes through the wires and it actually completes a circuit from the one wire to the other wire and in the process incapacitates uh, the subject. So, you know, in law enforcement, when we use tasers, if we shoot somebody with a taser, we are looking for what we call neuromuscular incapacitation, which is a fancy word to say that your muscles locked up and that you no longer have voluntary use of your muscles. So if you have neuromuscular incapacitation or NMI, uh, you know, between your back and your upper thigh, you're probably not going to be able to walk very easily. Plus, there's a, a pain factor that is also associated with that, where it's just not your muscles locking up, but it also creates the feeling of pain in your body. So you'll most likely want to uh, obey police commands or allow police to place you under arrest or stop resisting. So um, but that's different than stun guns that some are offered to the public where stun guns are almost what you would imagine is like a cattle prod or uh, or like a handheld device that you would stick and actually have to get close and press onto somebody's person or their body. Sorry, more police jargon yeah, I've, here. I've seen, I've seen the stun guns in kind of like the more like stick form. And I've also seen them in kind of like the little handheld box form where they have like two little metal probe things at the end and you just kind of jab somebody with it. And it's more of a pain compliance thing. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, we our tasers that we carry on uh, patrol. Also you can use as pain compliance, strict, strictly pain compliance by using the, they call it the drive stun mode, not dry. It's D R I V E for some of you LEOs out there that write D R Y in your supplements. <laughs> but uh as you, uh, when you, you can, yeah, we can use uh, the pain compliance. So going into that, since you brought it up, Patrick. So I guess we could take a decent step back here. Uh, we're using tasers on when we have to use force. So we just can't go out tasing everybody for anything. And, you know, the public must understand that we can only use force when we are trying to effect an arrest where we have resistance, where they are trying to assault us as police officers, or if we're attempting to stop an assault and save somebody else's life or, you know, get them to stop assaulting somebody else. So unless we have those three prongs, we can't use force, any force. It doesn't matter if we're talking about punching somebody. It doesn't matter if we're talking about striking them with a baton using our OC spray, which is the pepper spray as it commonly is referred to. We can't do any of that unless we are, you know, making an arrest, preventing an assault on us, preventing an assault on somebody else. So because of that, over the years, especially in the 
early days of policing all the way up until taser started to become more popular in the early 2000s officers on their like their tools their tool belt we had the asp which some people really hate or like they had the you know like a regular baton that they would carry around i mean some of the stuff that guys used to carry around like blackjacks uh you know a little piece of lead and like a leather ball at the end of a you know we don't that wasn't on the job when i was around that was no actually i think blackjack it wasn't in the uh if you're looking for kind of a reference was that in the wire the show the wire yes yes so if if you i mean the wire is probably just in my opinion the greatest one of the greatest law enforcement like series out there but if you actually remember i think it was named mcnulty wasn't it mcnulty he's goes back to beat patrol i don't forget what season it was season two maybe and he's walking down the street and he's carrying his blackjack kind of swinging it that's what a blackjack looks like so All right but they used different things over the years and i remember one of the uh one of the guys who just retired from our department a couple of years ago he said that when when oc spray came along when pepper spray came along he thought it was like one of the best things in the world because instead of just getting into a fight every single time knowing that you're going to have to fight this bad guy you could actually start spraying them and it would uh tilt the scales in your favor a bit so i think taser it did the same thing when taser came along around 2004ish where officers were now thinking to themselves, wow, I don't have to OC spray. I don't have to uh, sometimes get into a knockdown drag out fight. I can stand off at, you know, uh, 10 feet, uh, 20 feet and hit this guy with a taser. And then he goes down and I can cuff him up. And so, uh, so the reason why tasers became so popular so quick is that with that neuromuscular incapacitation, it was easier to put people in cuffs, you know, and they, they couldn't resist as easy. Right. And you could hopefully theoretically make a quick, easy arrest because the person would be incapacitated plus, and they felt the pain from the taser and were like, okay, uh, I'm going to give up now because that is absolutely horrible. So when we talk about the taser and I'm no electrician, uh, Frank, but I believe it's, High voltage, low current. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So well, yeah, low, low. I'm sorry. No, it's it's. Uh, you know what? I'm going to look it up. It's. I think it's, it's not current. It's low resistance. I believe it's uh, high. It's, I think it's like from what I remember, it was high voltage and either low current or low resistance, so it, it doesn't actually have any damaging effects to your body. Yeah, you're right. But I, it's not current. It's something else. It's uh, I'm going to look it up here. I'm on Taser's website right now. Okay, but, but it's it's the it's the stuff that kills you. Amps. Yes. Yes. Low amperage. That's Amp. what it is. Amp. Man, we're going back to like my physics 212 class in, in college. But we can vouch for what being tased feels like, and it is. How would you describe it, Frank? I'd I'd say it was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. Yes. Because, and you know, I'm one of the few who would actually take a taser over, I'm sorry, I would take OC over taser. No way. I would take a taser any day of the week over OC, as long as it only lasts the five seconds. Now, from my experience, the five seconds was probably one of the worst pains in my entire life because like Frank already described, your entire body just locks up and it's like a sharp incredible sharp amount of pain that runs from 
like the bottom half of your legs all the way up to the back top of your back and you essentially just lock up you kind of don't go there i mean when we we'll get into why we have to get kind of get tased but you have to have a person a buddy holding you for fear that you don't fall over because you just you're 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 incapacitated and you can't move well yeah i mean we can get into that right now i don't think that's any specific spot but yeah, I, I see. And like I said, I would rather get OC. And I don't know if it's because I like spicy food. They say that kind of helps out. No way. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> but uh, the reason I'd, I'd rather take OC is because when I locked up with that neuromuscular incapacitation, I it felt like I had a full body cramp and it lasted for, you know, even after the taser was done, like I ached, like I had just. Really? Oh my gosh, oh, it was no. terrible. See, OC it. for me was terrible. Not only do you get sprayed, and so we have to get sprayed, and you have to run like a little course and be able to function. And we're going to kind of explain why. But you got specifically sprayed in one eye, and then you have to run this course, and then you get like the you get the water and try to get it out of the eye. But the worst part, not only is the kind of the pain slash irritation of the eye but it's when you go home and you shower so when you get to go <laughs> home and you shower you get that residual effect of the the OC. It reactivates it oh my gosh coming down your face and your neck i i remember uh after i did that i took a picture and showed my wife and i was like my face looks like a freaking tomato and it hurts so yeah. bad and pain wise see to me oc lingers taser doesn't linger it's it, it is awful for the time that you get tased but then it's done well, the other thing, so I got tased once in the military and then I got tased when I started at our department. And so I knew what to expect because I also had a bad experience in the army also. And uh, I think just the anticipation of yes. getting tased was yes. almost as worse yes. as it's like, getting It's tased. like one of those things where you, you know you're like – you're going maybe you're you're speaking in front of a class of 500 and you get that those nerves and the anticipation. And it's like, oh, man – that's almost as bad. And once it happens, you're just like, get me through this. But it was only a couple seconds. And then you move on with your life. But OC, yeah. no. This is something we're going to agree on. Hey, you the know what? Is- Maybe we can have a poll on our social media. What's better, OC or getting tased? And I believe the people are going to side with me on this. I think you're right. But <laughs> I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll have a couple of people that are going to take OC over taser. Oh, man. But so uh, – Patrick mentioned why we get tased and there's a couple of good reasons why we get tased. And the first good reason is so that we're hesitant to deploy the taser on everybody and anybody, because if we know what the side effect, I'm sorry, not the side effects, but if we know what the effects of the taser are and we know that you heard both of us say it's excruciating pain, you get locked up. No uh, doubt. Because of that, we are hesitant to just tase anybody and everybody. We know that the, the, uh, it's not the severity, but the, but just like, you know, the, the weight of what a taser can do to somebody. So we're not to just do it to anybody. Um, another thing is that the reason why we, we do this is because we want to be able to understand what the bad guy is going through so we can feel what the neuromuscular incapacitation feels like so that we can understand and buy into the effectiveness of the taser and uh and i guess the the last reason is so that if somebody takes a taser from us or 
if they have their own taser that deploys darts and we know that we're going to possibly get NMI incapacitated. It could be right. It could be a lethal force situation now. Yeah. So what that means is if I'm on the street and somebody, and I'm in a knockdown drag out fight and somebody takes my taser, uh, depending on the situation, I might be able to use lethal force. I might be able to kill them in order to end that confrontation. And the, because if them using the taser, if they were familiar with it, they could potentially incapacitate you and you wouldn't be able to respond. So that's the real reason why we say that if somebody unfortunately would take our taser, you know, we would be justified in lethal force. But again, that would come back to a situation that would have to be objectively reasonable given the circumstances. Right. right. And, 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 you know, darn well that, uh, in the court of public opinion, as well as the actual court that they would take into, uh, into consideration, you know, was the officer using lethal, lethal force reasonable? So again, they're going to take in every piece of information that they have in order to come up with that conclusion. So, so yeah, that's, moving on. Yeah. That's the reason why, taser and how we get tased because trust me we don't sign up for it because it's fun now we do like to watch other officers get tased oh my gosh oh, it's, it's basically we make an announcement yes. at the police department and everybody yeah. comes up and watches yes yeah it's pretty pretty awesome and everybody gets video and everybody has different reactions some people scream some people go ah some people just fall over and it's it's kind of funny but yeah, some people just say the same word over and over yeah, again. Or yeah, and if if you want some good, you know, videos as far as tasing, just YouTube taser videos, like the infamous one, "Don't Tase Me, Bro." That's a, that's don't a, tase me, bro. Don't tase me, bro. That's a good There's one. There's another good one that you guys have to look up. It's uh, Air Force. It's the Air Force female who, when she, so again, when you get tased, because we know that you're going to have neuromuscular incapacitation, you have a person on uh, either arm kind of holding your arm and your shoulder so that when you lose use of your legs, you fall over, you won't fall over and injure yourself. Those two people are going to hold you up. Well, in this video with the, um, with this air force, uh, female, she's the one getting tased. And as soon as the taser hits her, her hands drop to her sides. And well, she ends up grabbing the crotch of the guy beside her <laughs> and she can't let go because she's in this neuromuscular incapacitation. And uh, it was, it's a pretty funny video. I, and at. I actually haven't seen it, but I, I think there are reports that occasionally someone who gets tased, they will pee themselves. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I remember them telling well, I can tell you that we tell everybody uh, before they get their exposure that you better use the bathroom so you don't <laughs> pee yourself, even though I haven't seen it happen, but Again, I think it, it adds to their nervousness. In and their summary, hazing. getting tased absolutely sucks. Watching other people get tased is awesome. But yeah. yeah. So now All we're right, at- So going to the pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go into the pros yeah. and cons. All right. So again, this is for the citizens and civilians out there. The reason why police, you want tasers to be used. And uh, I would say that the main reason why we uh, like to use it is that we have that standoff distance. And if we have a, a person who is, we can know is going to actively assault us. I mean, maybe that may, that might not be the main reason, but it's one of the reasons why it's a good tool. 
you know, a taser, uh, we can use it all the way up to, you know, less than a foot away. You're not going to get your uh, neuromuscular incapacitation that way, but they prefer you to be around seven to 10 feet away. And if that person that you're standing toe to toe with, if they're much bigger than you, if they're showing signs of assault, or if they maybe even have a knife, uh, you could use a taser and, and safely take them into custody if you get a good hit. Yeah. You, you reference this as far as an alternative to higher levels of force. If we're confronted with a bad guy who may have a knife and you would be given the circumstances legally justified and using deadly force at that point, if you may be the cover officer and maybe have your firearm out, the other officer, the contact may have a taser and by utilizing a taser in that situation, we may have prevented, you know, this person from, if they were suicidal, from injuring themselves, possibly killing themselves or injuring us. And so at that point, not only, you know, you don't know what would happen, but we possibly saved three lives, at least one, if by utilizing a taser as a lower level of force than lethal force in conjunction with the both of them. Now, yeah. of course, that's two officers and you're not always have the advantage of two officers, but that'd be a situation where it'd be effective. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we kind of mentioned this over the last couple of episodes, how in 2020, we are, you know, the police profession is criticized like it hasn't been in its history. And, you know, we're very, we're taught to de-escalate, de-escalate and find other options. Now, most officers are in the mindset of absolutely I'll de-escalate all day long, but when it comes to where my safety is in jeopardy, you know, that's when de-escalation stops and you need to take action. But most people in the United States now, uh, you know, would like to see, you know, we're, we want, we want to see people live. That's not, our job isn't to hurt anybody, but if we are presented with a person with a knife and like Patrick said, if we are legally justified to shoot, but we might be able to end it with the taser. Like that's, that's a huge pro. Like we could save their life. We could deescalate the situation and end it with the taser. So that's a, a very big pro. Now the twofold to that is then when given them circumstances, if we actually use lethal force and potentially killed somebody justifiably, then sometimes the public comes out and screams, well, why didn't you use a taser or why didn't you go this route versus, you know, using lethal force? Well, we're not saying that the taser should have been used. We're saying if given the possibility and the circumstances, we could have used it, it would have probably been a more, it could have been a more effective solution, but that doesn't mean that it needs to replace other, other tools or weapons or other uses of force. We're just saying it's a, alternative that is there when we're able to use it yeah it's kind of like you said where if you're faced with this one-on-one it's going to be your call yeah. if you're more than one officer there you might be able to have one lethal one less lethal and you know a hands guy and depends on the situation yep. that's where we talked about with graham versus connor yep. where you're going to take the totality of everything all the information into context so that you can make a good decision on whether that officer responded correctly or not so, so I'd say a pro, uh, maybe a con to the taser, but one of the pros is that in the past, it has been effective when you're chasing a wanted subject or you're, you're chasing somebody who you want to place in custody. Now I know you and I have had good, uh, 
good results and bad results when chasing somebody and trying to use your taser. Now, I will I will preface this by saying that I will give Frank credit. He is a better sprinter than me, okay? Now, I can outdistance him, but he's a better sprinter. So usually yeah, – got to run like your whole neck. So usually I when, never heard usually that when we're chasing people – and the, the people that we deal with, they like to, you know – rag on us and say oh you couldn't catch me okay well we're also carrying like a vest and like 20 to 25 pounds around our hip all the while trying to call out where we're going on the radio and trying not to trip over anything or get hit so plus i feel like they have more motivation to win yeah yeah we're not trying to get hurt so you know they like to try to rag on us and throw some shade at us but that's that's kind of a no, whole nother topic, but when, <laughs> when, when, when there is that time where, you know, you may be chasing somebody that you need to arrest like immediately, or they may be a danger and you cannot catch up to them. If you're within that distance, I think it could be up to 25 feet and you can tase them. Well, you know, and you're justifiable and using it, that can be an effective solution to the problem you're having by not catching this person. Yeah. It's just that it's, it's, it's super hard. I mean, if anybody yes. could imagine, yes running uh and then you know running down breezeways and turning every every time there's a new turn turning it's just the the possibility of you making a good hit is is so low but it is an option and it has worked or you could be really good and hop out of the passenger seat and tase somebody on a bike now that would be a good use of the taser because they're going to get away quick never heard of that before Listen, there used to be a wild, wild west of taser usage. And uh, over the years, with even some smaller court cases coming through the pipeline, uh, department or agencies have tightened up their use of force reports. But yes, there are times where you would get out, somebody would, um, I guess, even give the sign that they were going to flee and you could tase them and it would be justified all the way around courts. But there's also previous, again, objectively reasonable. There's other factors that go into that. You know, what is this this person wanted? What are they wanted for? Do they have a history of assault? That kind of stuff. You know what? Yeah. And all this stuff is still taken into consideration. It's that, uh, you know, there's a lot more stuff for our officers to think about in 2020 than there was in 2010. Right, right. Uh, it's just it's just different it's it's a different time and um and you know that's we could complain or or say that it's it's better now than it was and um it's not going to do anything different but we're we're in 2020 now so we gotta be up to date so uh that was fine he was good so we i know we have this not talk about an injury so you whenever you taste somebody you have to be cognizant that especially if you're running after them and you tase them i mean when they're incapacitated, there's a good chance that they're going to fall. And, you know, depending on where they're at, they could really, they could fall and really hurt themselves. But I would say overall, you actually prevent less injuries because you're not involved in a situation where you may have to strike them, may have to get in a knockdown, drag out fight. It's, hey, you got tased, you're incapacitated, you're taken into custody, and it eliminates, could be a fight that could be last. 30 seconds to a minute could be a fight that lasts several minutes. When you taste somebody and take them into custody, it could just be a five to 10 second issue and then you're done with it. So that's a way that yeah. potentially could prevent injuries. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that anybody who is squared up, 
getting into a fist fight, rolling on the ground, getting your head slammed into the ground, slamming the other person's head into the ground in order to affect the arrest compared to tasing and getting the neuromuscular incapacitation and placing the guy or gal under arrest during that cycle, I think there's a lot less chance of injuries. Or even if you're not even talking injuries as far as like long lasting injuries, like we've all seen pretty banged up booking photos where the person looks like they were in a nasty, nasty fight. And, you know, you don't get that a lot with tasers unless, yeah, I mean, there are those instances where somebody's running, they get tased and those videos out there, Google them when, you know, if an officer gets a good strike where you have good, uh, NMI, you know, where the probes, yeah, where you get good NMI. I mean, that person will not be able to break their fall. They will not be able to physically lift their hands up and put that on the ground to break their fall. So if their heads first thing they hit the ground, their heads hitting the ground with 150 pounds behind it, pushing it down into the ground or more. So it's something that we need to be considerate of. And they have over the years, you know, they've become more restrictive in allowing us to tase people while running. So talk about injury. I guess we can go into some of the cons. So again, uh, you mentioned some of the possible adverse effects and yeah. And I'm going to take this right from taser's website because they have taser's really great with their training they have, they're like an open book. They're not trying to hide anything. I keep saying taser, but it's Axon now. So if you look, go to Axon's website or even just go to Google and type in uh, taser training or taser training documents, this is open for everybody to look at and view. They have, they're not hiding anything. And uh, if you go to the, one of the slideshows where they're teaching you about the taser, um, you know, they, they say that the risks, uh, you could risk of injury from stress, physical exertion, falling, and they say that while all these risks are low, uh, they're not zero. And, you know, they talk and when you get trained on taser, they tell you to, they call it the heart to dart distance. They tell you if you're, if you're going to taste somebody who's facing you, you should try to aim uh, lower. So you're not aiming. So the probes hit anywhere around the heart. Um, so, you know, they're taking steps to, to help that out. So, you know, as far as a con goes for taser, there are risks involved. And I want to say some of the stuff that I was reading leading up to this episode, um, any, any deaths that occur while or when a taser has been used, there has about 50% of those deaths, a wrongful death suit has been filed against taser. Now, to this date, I could not find anything to where a, would it be a pathologist? As, as or far as whatever a, a medical doctor has not said the person died right. because of being tasered yeah. now it could be other uh, mitigating factors such as potentially drug use drug use uh medical issues uh right. I mean, Asthma, all those. Yeah. yeah yeah so so um again even though the possibility for Injury strictly from the taser is very, very low. They're not ruling out everything. And taser's taken steps to have officers trained up uh, so that they're knowledgeable about the possible adverse effects. You know, they say you should be cognizant of tasing somebody who is uh, elderly, cognizant of tasing somebody who's pregnant, tasing a uh, extremely young person, or even tasing somebody who is has a, a very low body weight or, or like a body mass index, you know, somebody who's extremely frail. And those are 
obviously observations you can make by observing the person, but there are other medical issues that you may not know about, such as a person has a history yeah. of seizures or person or asthma or a pacemaker, anything like that, right. you know, and we talk about articulate, you're going to articulate that, Hey, I did this in accordance with my training and our policies, but the standard, again, objectively reasonable, we weren't privy to that type of information. So. Yeah. And uh, another con, we already talked about this where, you know, chasing somebody down the street and tasing them, uh, that is, has an increased risk to injuries. So we need to be uh, cognizant of that, but there's other, uh, there's other videos out there and other police have gotten into it where, you know, you can't taste somebody if they're running from you on the roof of a house. And we've had this happen and we're like, no, you can't taste yeah. them. What's going to happen with their, with the, I know, if they I know, I know there was a court case in, in uh, New York. I think it was New York city where they had a suicidal subject who was about like about to jump off a roof or a building and they like taste them. Well, guess what happens when you taste somebody who's about to jump off the building, they're going to fall over and, you know, while that may not have been the smartest decision and the idea was to not harm them and get, take them into custody and get the medical evaluation, it, you, you got to kind of think two steps before you make this decision. Hey, that probably wasn't the best idea. Well, there was a, there's another one that Taser uses where the, there's a suicidal subject on a bridge and they were able to talk to them long enough where they were able to put a cushion below the bridge and then they still use taser to get him off the bridge and fall right into the pillow. And they were able to save his life. And there's also another video of officers who encountered uh, a guy next to a, a swimming pool and the guy had a gun. Now that's a lethal force incident. And there was two officers there and one had lethal force and the other had taser and they tasered him. And what do you think is going to happen to the guy who gets tasered? He's going to fall into the pool. So what, so that again, it might be a lethal force incident, even only using the taser. But the officers were able to see that the gun was dropped and they went into the pool. They saved him. And, you know, again, they saved his life as a pro. But there's other, it gets a lot more, um, sticky. there's a lot more things you have to, yeah, it gets sticky. And there's a lot more things you have to consider depending on where you're at and what you're doing. Again, when objectively reasonable. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's how we're going to articulate. <laughs> You got to be articulate. Yeah. So, for our next next episode, be on the lookout for another good word. Oh my gosh, we I gotta throw out. Yeah. All right. And what about the last but not least, I would say some one of the biggest issues we're facing now is especially with a a changing environment in policing where not everybody is has gone hands on or has that experience. People our officers are more apt to go to the taser when given the circumstances, it would probably be better if they were to just go hands on or use another type of force option. You can't, you, it's almost like an yeah. over-reliance on the taser. Right. And um, I think that I've heard a lot of people comment about how they say that, you know, our, our, our upcoming generation of police officers yes. uh, are a little bit more hands off than our, older generation, which is fine in certain circumstances. But what we want to say with taser is that you still must know how to go hands-on with somebody. You still must feel comfortable to go hands-on with somebody because it might be the most appropriate 
thing to do. Whereas we've seen over the years where actually there was a video that came out, um, I guess it was last year and it was about a guy who was just sitting on a curb and he refused to get up and the officer talked to him and talked to him and talked to him. And, you know, you got to give it to the officer. He gave it, he talked to him for a bunch, but the end result was the the officer tased him and he never touched him in the video. And again, I don't know the whole thing. I don't know what happened before the video or, or, you know, I'm, I'm mostly going off of the video that was shown on the internet. But it doesn't look like the officer attempted to right. touch this guy to see if he was going to be resistant other than the guy just sitting down and not listening to verbal commands, which Pat and I know. We call that we call sometimes, that passive resistance. Yeah, but you you and I know that sometimes when you touch somebody yes. as a police yes. officer to grab their arm, th- that's when you really know, are they going to melt or are they going to resist? The, and you can feel, you can that, feel that when they tense up their arms, especially. Yes. And sometimes people like to have a bigger mouth than they do with their actions. So they may say, Hey, I'm not going into custody. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kick your ass if you touch me or whatever. And you go into take them into custody and uh, then they melt. And and that happens because they, they, and they continue to talk smack on you the whole time while you're making the arrest. But you know, there are this officer in this video didn't appear to do any of that and just went with taser and uh, I don't know what the, the level of force, I'm sorry, I don't know what level the use of force was for Taser on that agency's continuum. Uh, like, you know, as far as, so for the civilian population, we every police department should have a written policy on where all use of force falls. So me punching somebody should, is this level of force. Me using the taser is this level of force. Me using a baton is this level of force. Well, I don't know where this this officer's agency had taser, but I would assume that if it wasn't very, very low on their use of force uh, continuum, that he probably got disciplined for not going hands-on in that instant. Right. But that's what we see is, you know, some some officers just don't want to go hands-on, which that is the most appropriate way to go. Damn millennials, uh, and then you know, damn millennials. Even though, right. tech, but even you though don't, technically, I think we're we're millennials. We're on the tail end. We're on the, we're tail, on the end. tail end. We don't like being looped into the millennials. We like to make fun of them, even though we are damn millennials. But but the thing is, you know, and that's where a lot of agencies started to get make their policies to say, hey, you must be met with active resistance before you use your taser. So now, you know, agencies are trying to define what is active resistance? Is it assaultive resistance? Is it, it's not passive resistance because passive resistance is me sitting in the middle of the road saying, I'm not going to move. Or like this, like, you know, the thing we just talked about where the guy was sitting on the curb and saying, no, I'm not going to be placed under arrest. That's passive resistance. It's, it's not violent. They're not going to hurt you. At least, you know, now you know, going back to that same incident, if that guy stood up and clenched his fists and, you know, picked up something on the ground and, you know, got this fighting stance and fighting posture, okay, then maybe the officer would be justified in using the taser, but that didn't happen. And that's why uh, it became a viral video. Right. And, that's the problem. So the over-reliance on taser is kind of become a new wave. And I think it's because the, the good thing about it though, is we've become aware of it. So now our training for self-defense and use of force is actually saying, acknowledge that this is a problem and we're 
trying to curb ways to prevent that and, you know, realize that, hey, you know, there are times when you still need to go hands on with an individual and that taser is in the back of our minds and we can go to that. But that might not be the best option right now. So that the, I guess that's the only pro taken away from this over reliance is we're actually acknowledging that it's a problem. And sometimes in policing, you know, we don't do enough of that where we don't acknowledge problems within our culture and we're trying to address ways to curb that. And I think so far, at least in our department's training, we're, we're getting, we're acknowledging that it has been kind of a national problem and, you know, working on ways to address that. But so those are some of the pros and cons Uh, just quickly, I guess we'll go into some of the policies uh, exposures, that kind of stuff. So it's our policy. If you carry a taser, you have to carry it on the opposite side of your weapon. So for instance, I'm right-handed, like normal human beings, I'm right-handed. And <laughs> oh my god! There you go. You lost all of our left-handed listeners. <laughs> what is that? Like ten percent of the population? Sorry, I'm normal. I'm right-handed. I have to carry it at at a minimum left of the center line of my body. So, and that way, you can either work on whether or not you want to draw it with. I either draw it with my right hand on a cro- what we call a cross draw, but normally it's I carry it on my my left hip facing actually in towards me so i'll actually draw it with my weak hand and turn it around which i've found is easiest for me and i've grown accustomed to that did you say why we are told to carry it on the opposite side of our gun i did not but i'm just explaining to you how i carried it frank i was going to get to that well do it we're there so (laughs) the reason we carry it on the opposite side is so we distinguish the taser from our weapon as in our gun so we do not confuse the two because unfortunately there have been and you can if you want to look it up there have been some videos out there where officers have mistakenly gone to draw their taser and they've drawn their firearm so as with anything in life we call it the oops factor this policy was created because of oops hey you know people have lost their lives because officers mistakenly went to draw their taser and instead drew their firearm. And I think, didn't uh, Catherine last week say oops was like a, a legalese term? Oops. Yeah. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I would testify in front of a judge. Yes, I did this because of oops, but that's basically yeah. what it means. And I'm not trying to downplay the fact that, you know, people have lost, lost their lives. I'm just saying that just with anything in life, policies are created because officers screw up. And in, th- in that situation, that is why we carry our taser on the opposite side of our body from our firearm. So again, if you were left-handed and you abnormal, you would carry the taser on your right side. So shout out to one of our good friends who's a lefty. Yeah. And whenever anybody DMs me on uh, Instagram, uh, you can make sure to throw that shade towards Patrick, (laughs) not Frank. I support all left-handed. I support him too. I just, I'm a firearms instructor. I, uh, I understand your, your pain that you know all a lot of guns are manufactured for right righties and safeties are on the wrong side i get you i feel your pain because i don't even like teaching to the left teaching to the left yeah it's hard because again i'm right-handed and uh it's a whole different world teaching teaching left so uh yeah i mean so uh, any other policies are basically you know they, they keep evolving again over the years We've had again this like wild wild west. They've kind of come become more and more restrictive over the years. Again, and I consider this to be making the police profession 
uh, more professional and evolving so that, you know, because we hear stories, oh my God, we hear stories about using your handguns back in the seventies where it's much more loosely uh, used than what it is in 2020. So just like anything in policing uh, over the years, we become more professional. We get a little bit uh, more restrictive in what we can and can do, which sometimes it does make the job harder, but uh, I think it's more in, you know, it's we're out. more in line with the constitution and how we go about it how we go about policing. Yeah, but I can see that the problem that some officers have with some of the restrictive policies is that if it could be construed as being unsafe and that's, that's, you know, and you and I, you know, we would never ever ask for a policy to be, you know, something that would make us unsafe. And that's where like, you know, uh, Patrick and I are both involved in our FOP and, and that's where we would, you know, kind of raise our hand up and say, hey, you know, maybe we could look at this policy a little closer. But and we wouldn't want any officer to be unsafe. But but, the, you know, as things evolve, uh, that's something that we have to take into consideration. So I think that about wraps it up. It does. But I wanted to ask you if you want to maybe make a second segment of this and go into civilian use of taser stuff, Ooh. because you know, this show is for the the civilians out there to understand why we do and what we do. But I think we could even go into, you know, some of the state laws because there's some, there's been a recent case law out there about civilian use of stun yeah. guns. I mean, we're already into an hour and we, we're trying to keep the show anywhere from up to an hour, not, not too much longer. Yeah. That actually would be a good, good thing. Probably not the next episode yeah. because we have a, Hopefully we have a nice interview for you on our next episode, but uh, we'll reserve that one for coming up here soon. Right. All right. Well, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. If you guys have any, any questions about tasers or why we, again, why we do what we do on the street, go ahead and, and ask yeah. whatever way you want to, however you listen to your podcast, whether that is on uh, anchor on Apple Podcast, there's a bunch Spotify. of Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, yeah. uh, iHeartRadio. There's a please bunch. rate and subscribe. Give us a five star review, and if you want to reach yeah. out to us, we're on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, hopefully we can answer your questions because we do want to have a mailbag session, and I think it, that'd be one of the more enlightening episodes we could have by just answering some questions from two veteran police officers. Who are still millennials? Right. Who are still millennials? Yeah, yeah, right. Isn't that scary? No, the scary thing is that when you're doing your um, your audits with some of the the birth, date of birth, and you see that our young officers are born in like '98, yeah, it's like oh my, it makes gosh. you feel old. But that's it makes you feel old, just like right. anything with life. All right, we're Frank and Pat signing off. Thanks again.